Welcome to Building and Protecting Your Business Worth podcast. This podcast is about sharing strategies and ideas to help business owners build, protect, and transition their businesses for the future while creating more balance in their life. Your host is Thomas J. Perone, CLUCIC, and president of the New England Consulting Group of Guilford Incorporated, consulting business owners for over 50 years. Welcome to Building and Protecting Your Business Worth. Hi, I'm Tom Perone, and I'm your host. And this podcast is all about learning strategies to build your business, to create greater profit, but to create also an abundance of leisure time so you can enjoy what you're building. Today, we have a wonderful guest, and I would like to introduce to you Meredith Bell. Welcome to Building and Protecting Your Business Worth podcast. You're a second timer here, Meredith. Thank you, Tom. And you know, I'm really excited because I know what great conversations you and I have together. So this is going to be fun. And I think very interesting for your listeners. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, it's an interesting topic about what you and your organization have done with these books, connect with your team and peer coaching made um, simple. I guess that's the name of um, yes. it. Phenomenal combination of tools. And I know we'll get into, but let me explain to the listener who you are. So Meredith Bell has been an entrepreneur since 1982, and she's an expert in helping companies develop the people side of their business. Meredith is a co-founder and president of Performance Support Systems, a global software company based in Virginia. Their award-winning assessment and development tools have been used by all types of organizations to help leaders and team members become more efficient performers. And many of your clients keep coming back. You've been doing business with many of them for over 20 years. So that says an awful lot about what you're offering, your product, and how you're handling your clients, Meredith. Um, Also, she's not one-dimensional. She is the co-author of two books published in 2020. Her sole book, Strong for Performance, a fabulous book, Create a Culture with Learning and Development Programs That Stick, another great book, came out in March of 2020. Today, we're going to be discussing Connect with Your Team, Mastering the 10 Top Communication Skills, and uh, a co-authored book with Denny Coach, your partner, um, which we're going to talk about peer coaching also today. Yes. Okay. Um Meredith, you and I have talked about communication for, and I'm intrigued by it because it's either it either works or it doesn't, and if it doesn't, you got to work at it, and it's very complicated. But you, you and Denny and your organization have taken this very complicated area, and you very much, in many ways, have simplified learning it and made it fun. But let's talk about why communication skills are hard skills but not soft skills. Well, if you think about where most people get into trouble, it's a a lack of uh, communicating clearly with someone else or not even addressing something that needs to be addressed. And so they're hard because we don't learn these skills at home or in school. You know, unfortunately, they're not part of any curriculum. So when it comes to listening or giving someone feedback, 
you know, uh, receiving feedback from someone else. We just kind of pick up these skills along the way, but we aren't very effective at them. And so to me, they're hard because we've developed these habits over the years. And now if we're trying to make improvements and changes, that's not easy because we have to rewire our brain for this new different way of doing it that's not our habit. And so it takes, you know, awareness that we need to improve and then also a willingness and openness to learn a better way so that our interactions with others can be more effective. You know, um, let's come back to that because what you just said is very important and I understand it because I've worked with people all my life, but a lot of new people, I don't mean new people, but people in new fields and we're now engaging, um, the younger group, are they aware how important communication is? I think they are. It's just that many times they've been, um, maybe they don't always appreciate how important the in-person communication is because Some of them have relied on text messages for so long, right? And so the inner actions with another person may not be as as comfortable for them initially. And, uh, you know, so much of it, Tom, goes back to how did their parents interact with them? Because I've got you know, a daughter who has two children and she and her husband are constantly interacting with their kids. And so they learn how to do that through, and and anyone does, through their family life. So what is the family dynamic? You know, what are the interactions there? And depending on how much time and attention parents have spent, you know, interacting with their kids, that sets a model for them as they move into the teen years and into adulthood? What have they been exposed to? What opportunities have they had to really interact either in person or verbally through the phone or Zoom or other kinds of online platforms besides the texting? You know, I asked that question and that was just off the cuff. I didn't even think of it prior to us starting, but I remember my very good friend's son uh, end up breaking with his girlfriend and they they did it all through text because they miscommunicated through text and I'm thinking uh, you know you and I because we're a little more uh, wiser than the younger ones but, <laughs> that's but, a good way to put it yeah we I and mean, I was born in an Italian family so I mean, there was no problem with communication even if nobody said anything we saw hands fly and everything you know so we were we brought up communication. We didn't have these texts and zooms and things like that. And I it occurred to me as we started this show, I could see where it's a quite a challenge to really communicate because they may only think of communication is a, a byproduct of texting and zooming and a phone call, uh, but it's a lot more than that. So, with that being said, what's required to master the skill of communication? A key aspect, there are a couple different things. One is knowing what it looks like to do it well. You know, as with anything, if you think of learning a sport or playing a musical instrument, it's important to, you know, have someone that teaches you 
the best way to do it. And that was really the purpose of writing Connect With Your Team. It was to give people specific steps, um, tools, sample dialogues to help them see, here's what it looks like when you do it well. Here's what it looks like when you don't. So learning what to do is the first step, but that's not enough, obviously. You also need to then practice it because what happens is the more we use a skill, the more it solidifies actual physical connections in the brain so that it becomes our way of doing things. It, it just think of common habits that you have where you don't even have to think about it to do it because it comes automatically. Your brain has got those particular patterns, you know, really solidly wired. So when you want to learn a new skill, you, and especially if it's one you've already got a way of doing it, so you've already got an established habit, then it takes real work. It takes concentrated practice to consciously think about doing it this way instead of that way, the way you've always done it. So there's time involved because the brain doesn't rewire itself overnight. And that's why the repetition, the practice is really important to getting to the point where you can say, I've really mastered that. Yeah, and in your books, uh, you give so many good examples. Um, as a matter of fact, the the books actually, I know you you work with companies for their groups, but as a professional um, a consultant, I realized when I first got your books last year, um, wow, this is a great book just to pick up and read if one had the mindset of being a better communicator because there's so much good stuff in there. Um, you know, it keeps feeding yourself. It's all this stuff that maybe you never thought about of being a good communicator. And what crossed my mind, Meredith, is companies like Costco and uh, Trader Joe's, which have great culture. I got to believe in those companies, they've worked on communication amongst the higher ups in the rank and file, and they must do it consistently. I think that's probably right. Also, they have, because like you said, they have a culture of, you know, being positive, treating people well, they look to hire people that share those values. So I think that's a really important thing for any business owner listening. You know, what are the important values in your company in terms of how people treat each other, how they talk to each other, you know, is respect, you know, expected uh, when you uh, interact with someone else. So it helps when you hire people who already have those core values about what another, how another human being should be treated. So that then when you bring them on board, you're helping to refine them, to take them to another level. You're not starting from scratch, convincing them, you know, that these are important skills. There's already a, a baseline, a, a, fundam, a foundation that you can build on. And I think that's an important part of any hiring process is, you know, how well does someone communicate? How well do they show that others are important? Because the two companies you just mentioned, to me, as a customer of both of them, I always enjoy going into those stores because of the, the feeling you get when you go in there and the way your interactions go 
with others. It's always positive and helpful. And, you know, that counts a lot in any environment. It it does. And as a practitioner working with businesses and their growth, Good. Uh, a middle management is the one of the greatest value drivers of, for the potential value of selling your company. And without a good culture, you won't have a good middle management because, like you just said, a good culture attracts good people. A bad culture uh, attracts bad people. It's basically that simple. So to to spend the time to work on your company with good communication, creating a good culture is well worth the investment all the way around. Easier to hire, more value for your company. So, it, I mean, we read these things. I don't think we understand totally the, the long uh, the long range, the big picture of a company and communication. Um, but it's very, very true. Um, Meredith, the characteristics um, of powerful listeners, really good listeners, what, what are they like? You know, I think one of the biggest ones, Tom, that is more of a way of being than, say, a strategy or a tactic is simply being curious. How do you show up when you're getting ready to have a conversation with someone else? Because too often, you know, we've had an experience with someone. And if it was not a positive one, then when we are going into this conversation, we might be guarded, we might, you know, be bringing to the front of our brain, these past experiences. And so if we can replace that, those negative kinds of emotions or attitudes with one of curiosity, what can I learn from this person? How can I avoid judging what they say and really listen to understand? And, you know, one of the greatest needs every human being has is to be understood, to have them have them feel that they matter in the world, and in particular to the person who's in front of them in that moment. So if I can enter into a conversation with the attitude that this person right now is the most important person in my world. Put whatever past experience we've had, you know, out of my mind and really be able to give my full attention to this person. It's amazing, Tom, what that does to build a relationship without you saying a single word initially, just saying, you know, just having that open curious mindset. I want to learn from this person. I want to know what's going on in their head. I want to know what's going on in how they feel. And then another aspect of listening well is learning how to express empathy. You know, this word gets tossed around a lot, but what we're really getting at is the person that's speaking wants to know if you don't just understand the words they're saying, But, you know, how they're feeling, what their being is like in this moment. And so, again, it's a matter of raising your awareness. So you're paying attention to the tone of voice, you know, their facial expressions, their body language, how they're saying what they say, not just the words. So that when it's your opportunity to offer something, you can start off with, acknowledging where they are or, you know, checking where they are. So you say, gosh, it sounds like you're really frustrated right now. 
and give them an opportunity to agree or disagree. No, it's not frustration. I'm really, you know, fed up with and, and give them a chance to go on. Okay. And then in your own words, nobody likes a parrot, right? So you don't want to say back exactly what they just said. They want to know you got them. And so either asking a question so you can say, yeah, it sounds like you're really frustrated. Or you could say, gosh, are you frustrated right now? Because that's what's coming across to me. And I just want to make sure I'm hearing you correctly. Give them a chance. And by the way, being a good listener does not mean sitting silently and passively and letting somebody just talk, talk, talk. Listening is active. And that's why another reason why it's a hard skill, because so many of us want to, you know, jump in, give our opinion. We're waiting for our turn to speak. So we're only partly hearing what the person is saying because we have a point to make or we want to prove that we're right. And all of that interferes with really listening and getting what someone is saying. You know, it starts, uh, like you just said, I think it really starts with an attitude of the person having that mindset of being curious, curious, having empathy, um, really wanting to learn um, and, and not have a judgment going yes. in. Uh, yes. You know, because we all do. Um, I, you know, it's it's like, uh, and I, years ago, you could have a, a, a discourse of uh, and conversation politically. Now you can't even enter the conversation without great emotions. And that's a shame because we're not prepared to be non-judgmental. We're already, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. relate that to you, but really it's a lot of activity on the listener's part, a tremendous amount, and you got to be prepared. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. If we can, you know, remain humble and recognize, I may not have all the answers here. And those of us like me, you know, that want to be helpful to someone. The other thing we have to guard against is jumping in with a solution because we can hear someone talk about a problem they're having. And this is particularly important for leaders in a business, especially if um, the, the person, let's say this, the owner who feels like, gosh, people come to me too much. You know, everybody comes to me all the time with their, with their problems. And I'm always having to solve everybody else's problems. Well, what I would encourage that individual to do is pause and say, how many times do I feel like I'm having to jump in and provide the solution instead of helping people learn to think for themselves? And that's why we put that chapter in the book, because and even, you know, in a coworker situation, but we do not serve others well when we jump in and provide a ready answer for them, even if our experience and our, you know, knowledge says, let me save time, do this quick, you know, I need to move on to the next thing. So let me give this person the answer. When we do that, though, we're robbing that other person of the opportunity to really grow by asking them instead of giving the answer, say, well, what options have you considered so far? Or what do you think is the best thing to do in this situation? If I weren't here, what would you do? So that you get them to start realizing they're very capable. If a leader is, is finding too many people are coming to them too often, then look within, because there is something that you're doing that's creating this dependence 
on you for the answer. Part of it could be they don't feel safe making a decision. Maybe there have been really negative repercussions when they try something and it doesn't work out. And then they get into trouble. They get chastised. They get you know, belittled in some way. No one is going to take risks if they feel that the consequences are going to be you know, hard and, and harsh. They're, they just won't do it. So I think that's an important part of you know, running a business, being in a leadership role is really helping people understand they're very capable of coming up with solutions. You know, uh, that chapter five and connect with your team, when you talked about think for themselves, um, I was reviewing it yesterday and I said, you know, we forget about that because the first thing we want to do is help them. And then, but we end up enabling them and that uh, we don't teach them how to fish, just like you were talking about. And, and I would think that's a gracious way of giving them feedback by being aware that you don't want to enable them, you want to teach them, and you want them to think for themselves. To me, that is graceful. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, and I can make it really um, give one simple question for everybody to hold in their head. And that is, when somebody comes to you and says, what should I do about this? What should I do about that? Simply say, what do you think? And then be quiet. See, that's the thing. Many times we're not comfortable with silence. Right. And if the other person isn't used to you asking that question and they haven't been having to think for themselves, they may not have a ready answer. And so they may say, well, I don't know. And you can say, well, I bet you've given this some thought because you've been thinking about it before you brought it to my attention right now. So I can wait a few minutes, just, you know, Give it some thought and tell me what is, so it's a version of what do you think? Like, all right, well, what are the possible options? What are the consequences if we do A versus B? Which one would you recommend? You know, there are just so many versions of that same question. Right. But I think that we really do foster, and here's the thing, Tom, we're not just fostering independent thinking, we're fostering creativity, we're fostering innovation. You know, when we make it safe and possible for others to start thinking for themselves, we get a lot better ideas about how we can run our business, you know, what improvements we could make. Because if we don't ask, uh, people aren't going to necessarily come and tell us, especially if we've been defensive, you know, or some other negative reaction when they brought ideas to us in the past. I, as you were saying that, I was thinking of a phrase I learned from a, 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 a an old uh, professional consultant. He says, "You know, if two of us have the same opinion, we don't. Two of us don't have to be in the same room." And <laughs> yeah, so, mm -hmm. so I always thought about that. But you're right; it's it really is encourage them to uh, really start thinking for themselves, and certainly that's the way they're going to learn to communicate better. But you bring up a good point. By them feeling that you use the word safe place, they're able to uh, expand their thoughts with you without fear of criticism or whatever it might be. And all of a sudden you're getting, you're starting to build some of those middle management characteristics uh, that people maybe have great ideas, but they never learned how to communicate them to anyone else because they were either afraid or whatever. Um, and, and that's just another byproduct of, 
of good communication skills, people get to feel uh, safer in, in that way of being able to tell you how they feel about something or give an idea. It's good, mm-hmm. growth, very good growth. Um, what's required of a, an effective peer coach? Well, when we talk about a peer coach, what um, what we're getting at with that book, Peer Coaching Made Simple, you know, it would be nice if we could hire, right, an external coach to work with everyone in an organization. But for most companies, that's not realistic, especially, you know, as you grow in size. So it's helpful for people to be able to coach each other. And because you typically won't be able to hire somebody else to do that for every single person. So to be an effective peer coach, one of the first things is simply recognizing I'm going to be working with another person and we're going to make commitments to each other. And then we're going to hold each other accountable for those commitments. So we wrote the peer coaching book as a companion to the connect with your team book, it could be used as a companion for any kind of learning you want people to be going through because the process is very similar. It's putting people in pairs. You could even put them in in a group of three if you wanted to. The idea is that they're both making a commitment about working on a specific area of personal or professional development. And so if you were using the Connect With Your Team book, for example, maybe both of you want to work on listening or both of you or each of you wants to work on a different skill. It doesn't really matter. It's the idea that we agree to meet at a certain time, you know, by phone, in person, Zoom, whatever the platform is going to be. And we're going to meet at this frequency So whether it's weekly, biweekly, monthly, but we're making a commitment to each other. And what we're committing to is in this meeting, you and I are going to talk about what it is about, let's just say we both want to improve our listening skills. I'm going to work on not interrupting other people. And so letting them finish their sentences, because I've been told I tend to do that too much, similar to what you were describing earlier about your colleague. And so if I make a commitment then the next time we meet, my my peer coach is going to ask me about that. So tell me about times where you were tempted to interrupt and you didn't. And how did it go? Did you catch yourself? Did you, you know, what happened if in the cases where you did interrupt? Did you, you know, apologize? Did you stop and let the other person finish? So you discuss how things went. So you've got this person who's not just holding you accountable. They're there to help support you and encourage you because anytime you're trying to learn a new skill, no matter what it is, you're not going to do it right every time. That's part of the learning is practicing it and experiencing some setbacks and picking yourself up and doing it again. So having that person there that cares, that's committed to your success and it's going to be a sounding board and and support person for you is really important. And so that can be an ongoing relationship uh, that can, you know, happen over a long period of time. It depends how you want to, you know, structure it and what people are actually working on. But the idea is you're not alone. That's why programs like 12-step programs, even Weight Watchers, 
where you've got other support people who care about your success. And in this case, it can be one partner. And then another thing you could do is have the peer coaches all come together, say once a month to talk about how's it, go- how's it going? Where do we as a group maybe want some additional help or guidance? Um, where are we getting stuck? So it's it's not the kind of thing where you just want to say, okay, you guys are going to be peer coaches <laughs> and you work with each other. That That's why that uh, peer coaching made simple book helps provide some structure and very simple steps and sample dialogues of what you can do in those kinds of conversations. So, so Meredith, let me understand. Um, I own a company and I have 25 employees and I recognize we need to develop better communications. So uh, do you ha- is the program basically they buy the books and they start the program or do you have a set I mean, I I saw the the grow and and uh, grow strong leader and teams facilitator, which I do want to talk about because it's a great guide. Is this a tool that you would send to an employer to start the process? Yes, because what we have seen over the years with our experience with you know doing training ourselves, but then also creating software tools and and the books, you can't just hand people resources. And and say, okay, have at it. Read this book, and now I want you to improve. It's like sending somebody to a training class and thinking just because they attended the training, now they know these skills. Mm-mm. It doesn't work like that. Again, the brain has to wire itself for that skill, so it requires a lot of practice. So there needs to be somebody internally who's a champion. Now, you could bring in an external facilitator, It's just that there needs to be someone who is guiding the process. So when you, for example, if you were giving everybody both books, you want to provide some structure, who's going to work with who, what topic are they going to focus on? So you're tracking it. So there's sort of like this super accountability coach, if you will. And we call that person a facilitator who, excuse me, is just making sure everything stays on track that people are working on this. And it goes back to anything, you know, what what you expect, you need to inspect, right? You can't just give somebody something and you'll, you'll have a small percentage who will, no matter what you give them, they're going to implement it, right? They're going to do it. But most people respond better when there's some kind of structure, accountability, expectation to implementing the specific behavior that has been outlined. So I think that the role of the facilitator is to kind of be that uh, combination cheerleader and super accountability person that keeps things on track. You know, uh, maybe you have it, I don't know, but you know, your two books here as a course, let's call them just tools. They really set the stage for an online course I don't know if you have that or not, but it seems to me that um, if you need a facilitator, people who want to do it on their own could really benefit by an online course where there's an open forum maybe once a month where people come in and they can ask those questions. Um, Because not every company is going to have a facilitator or someone coming in to do this. But it just occurred to me that what a wonderful course it would be online, you know, that kind of Mm -hmm. thing. 
Yes. And we actually have a, a, an online program called Strong for Performance that incorporates uh, these skills and others and has a, a way of people requesting feedback and working with you know, other support coaches and an accountability coach. So it's not quite the way you're describing it, but it is a, a tool for helping people really change behavior over time. It's very different from, say, a learning management system where people, you know, complete um, a, a video, let's say, and then they take a knowledge-based quiz that then gets tallied, yes, I've completed this. We're all about helping people make real behavior change and real improvements. So whether it's through our books and the way we've structured, you know, facilitator instructions or this online program, our bias is towards action. What are you doing with this information? Because knowledge is limited. You can know things in your head. You know, we talk about people who are book smart, but, but then don't necessarily apply common sense or apply skills in their actual work. And that's what we are all about is helping people over time really make those improvements in their behavior. Well, yeah, and that's correct because when you do podcasts, you, you are always teaching, the videos are always teaching. There's so much here that people, if they paid attention, could learn at least to be better communicators. And as a matter of fact, anything we talk about today, we'll put on the on the show notes so people can go to your website and look at these things and the books and all that stuff. So, you know, the audience won't miss out on these things that we're talking about. Meredith, um, your, your book uh, connect with the team covers top 10 communication skills. Which are the two or three that you would put on the top of the list? Well, we've already talked about listening. So that would be the number one. I'd love to talk about another one that people don't necessarily think about as being a key communication skill, but it's huge. And that is expressing appreciation or giving positive feedback to people. And you've probably heard this over the years, Tom, with business owners you've worked with. I've certainly heard it from different leaders. And that is, why do I need to do that? I've already hired them. I'm paying them. You know, they're here to do their job. Well, it goes back to thinking about people as, you know, whole human beings. And again, understanding we all have this need to feel that who we are, what we do matters. And so to be recognized for the things that we do well, especially because most of us tend to be critical of ourselves. And so it helps to have someone else acknowledge something we've done that, that worked out well, that got a good result, because we tend to minimize a lot of times the good that we do, right? So I, I use this, um, gosh, it's an insight I heard many years ago from a man named um, Dan Sullivan, who's the owner of Strategic Coach. He works with successful entrepreneurs around the world. And in this podcast, he was talking about the word appreciate. And I have adopted that ever since. And here's what what he means by it. When we think about the word appreciate, we think it is about increasing in value, 
whether it's the stock market or you know land we've invested in, if it appreciates, it goes up. What we don't often think about is how that word applies and that definition applies to another human being. And so if we can truly convey to someone else that we appreciate them, then it does two things. It increases their value in our own minds because we're focusing on the value they bring to our lives, to our businesses. And it also elevates their value in their own mind, which is huge because when we think well of ourselves, we're able to give more of ourselves. We are better able to perform at work because we know and value who we are and what our contribution is. And so what does that look like then if a business owner is going to focus on expressing appreciation? It means keeping your radar up for opportunities to notice when someone does something well and then complimenting the person on it in a very specific way. So let's say that you were having a meeting and you were you know, involved with, you were leading it, you were involved with the content of it, and you weren't paying as much attention about the process. In other words, who's speaking up, what are the responses, that sort of thing. But someone else in the meeting was monitoring that, and they noticed that someone hadn't spoken up yet. And so when, you know, things are being discussed, that individual, let's say it was you, Tom, let's say you had noticed Sue over here hasn't spoken up and you said, hey, Meredith, I noticed we haven't heard from Sue yet. I'd like to hear what she's thinking right now. And man, Sue comes up with a great idea that, you know, turns things around or really brings up an important topic that we hadn't considered. So after the meeting, what I can do is say, Tom, thank you so much for paying attention to who was participating and who wasn't. I so appreciate your noticing that Sue had not contributed and asking for her input because it turned out it was really important to our discussion. Do you see how simple that is? It is. It, it is being aware and noticing and know that appreciation has such great value all the way around. You know, as you, you were talking about that, I'm thinking of my of Joseph, Joseph Perone. Uh-huh. Years ago, um, years ago, I said to him, you know, it doesn't take much for employees to really enjoy working. You need to create it. And so what he started to do is he, he would once or twice a month, he would have what they call a pizza party for all the employees. And he, you know, he, he would uh, do that and he'd give little bonuses and stuff. Well, let me tell you something. He doesn't lose employees anymore. And that, that young man now works 10 hours, 40 hours a month now, 10 hours yeah. a week. And he runs two businesses. But through appreciation, always appreciating his employees and showing them that, he's created such great value in all of them. They all they love being. There's that culture. I keeps coming back to that culture, Meredith. You know? Well, it does. And that's such a great example because – what you're bringing up is not just appreciating individuals, but appreciating the team. How can I let the team know I value their contribution? So, you know, looking for simple things to do 
that don't have expensive, but that demonstrate to them, we matter to this person. We matter to this company. Our contribution matters. And I know I've said this multiple times. I want to really kind of ram it home that people need to feel they matter to really be committed to a company, you know, to a cause, to a leader. Uh, If they feel that they are truly appreciated and valued, it's amazing what they're willing to do, the level of their motivation, their commitment. And like you say, they wouldn't think of leaving because it feels too good coming into this environment and knowing that what I'm contributing is making a difference. Yeah, yes. And um, uh, I got time for one last question. And because, but before we we get into that, um, again, I've read these books. I scan them. They're on my desk. I, I, I tell people about them. They're wonderful books. And those of you who out there who haven't really thought about the communication aspect in your company, pick up these books uh, and we'll, we'll show you how you can get them. But give it a whirl because there's so you and Denny and you and, and, and your book and him and his book. Together, this is a, a, a dynamite combination, these two books. I just want to say that. They're very good. Thank uh, you, Tom. Well, you know, the easiest um, thing for people to do is go to our main website, which is growstrongleaders.com, because we have information about both books on the homepage, and then they can click another tab to learn about our product. So, And to listen to my podcast, Strong for Performance. So everything is in that one place. Yeah, you, you're a you're a walking knowledge base in this. It's amazing. I just if I followed you around, I'd learn all that I need to know. <laughs> um, but uh, the last question, uh, I think, for the employer uh, who's thinking out there, okay, this is great, but how can a company provide coaching for everyone at all levels without breaking the bank? This to me is where, you know, our resources come in. They could, you know, find some other ones. But the idea is to have books like ours that explain what to do, how to do it, and then letting people work together as peer coaches with each other, where they are supporting and encouraging and holding each other accountable. That's a really good model to follow for any kind of development program you want to put in place so that, you know, you could bring in someone to conduct a workshop, but honestly, I really want to encourage you to look at what are you going to, before you do that, what are you going to put in place for follow-up to reinforce, to allow people to practice, because you're really wasting your money if you are investing or spending it on events and thinking that is going to make the difference in behavior change. You're much better off, you know, investing in books that then you provide a structure in place that helps people work through them in a consistent way so that their performance improves over time. Is, is there a book, uh, Meredith, that you or Denny have written where the employer as a, a to preempt a course would buy for their his employees or her employees to read prior to instituting some kind of program? Well, the, the two books that we have are really the resources that they would 
be using Connect With Your Team, which goes through the top 10 communication skills and how to use them. And then Peer Coaching Made Simple that explains how to be an effective peer coach with someone else. So, and they could do it either way, uh, get the books for all their employees to start and then start a course. But you're really saying it's it's one thing to read a book, but it's also another thing to have ongoing. Yes. And, you know, really, Tom, the uh, the idea of a course, if, if we can kind of remove that for a minute and just think of what is ongoing development of my team look like? And it's where they're learning about how to do a skill well, that doesn't have to happen inside of a course. It can happen from a book. But then how are we using it on a day-to-day basis to practice, apply it, get feedback, get support on how we're doing? And so just as a quick example, and this ties into skill, other skills in the book around feedback, it's important to ask folks, how am I doing? You know, I've been working on becoming a better listener. I've been working on, you know, trying to do better with, with this particular skill. Are you seeing improvements? What else might you suggest that I do to be more effective in this area? Because getting that kind of input, what Marshall Goldsmith calls feed forward, what is it others would like to see me do in the future? All of that is part of development because now I've got information that's helpful for me to learn what to do. So it doesn't have to be in the form of a formal course. If you think of it as part of our day-to-day work where I am always seeking to be you know, better in this area. And that's why our subtitle of our book is Mastering the top 10 communication skills, because we never get there, you know, a, a, whether it's a, a golf pro or any sport, any musician, they're always looking to improve, to get better. So we're not trying to arrive somewhere. We're simply trying to continue growing and developing as we are performing our work uh, activities. And, and you know what, I, as you were saying, you know, it wouldn't be uh, impossible for smaller companies to create a a group a study group of uh-huh. like-minded uh, people but I, I bring that up because I think it's so important that people as many can learn the habits and the things they need to know to at least increase their communication skills like Dan Sullivan says you're never going to get beyond the horizon right it's so, but you could become better, and uh, and one percent growth is exponential. So, um, Meredith, we got to end it. You know, I can keep going all day, but you got to go back to work. I know. So, but uh, I tell you, we have wonderful conversations, and this subject is just uh, blows me away. And you do such a great job explaining it over and over again. So, I want to thank you for taking the time to be here and discussing it with us. Oh, Tom, thank you. It's always such a pleasure talking to you because you are such a learner yourself and you're always looking for ways, you know, to add value to others. And so I appreciate you and I appreciate your having me on your show for this conversation today. Always my pleasure. And I will make sure that everything the audience needs on the footnotes where they can click the link to get up to your website and get in touch, all that stuff will be there. 
And Meredith, thank you so much again. I appreciate your time very much so. Thanks, Tom. Well, I want to thank everybody for tuning in and listening. It was a good show today. And uh, if you would help us out by subscribing, click a like. Uh, if you have any ideas or thoughts that you would like to share with us, please email me at tperone, that's P-E-R-R-O-N-E, at N-E-C-G-G-I-N-C dot com. And if you are a business owner or you know business owners that would like to participate on our show, certainly let me know. We certainly welcome everyone who is a business owner to help people out there that are running businesses with great ideas and strategies to make them successful. So again, thanks for tuning in. I certainly appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in. Whenever you're ready to grow and protect your business while creating more balance in your life, here are three steps you can take. One, subscribe to this podcast. To request a free copy of Tom's newly published book, Unlocking Your Business DNA, email Tom at tperone at necgginc.com. And on the subject line, type DNA. Include your mailing address. And thirdly, take the one-minute scorecard and report to see how efficient you are in your business planning. Email tperone at necgginc.com and request scorecard. For additional information, click the show notes.